we have been talking about um, stories of contrast because I believe that in life we learn by comparison. We learn uh, sometimes by comparing things that are similar. You might remember that Jesus prayed, and we have it recorded in the 17th chapter of John. And in that prayer, Jesus says, I pray, Father, that those who will believe in me in the future, that's us, that they will develop relationships that are one just as the relationship, God, that you and I have. He's, Jesus is praying. And so in that moment, Christ is using that, a tool of comparing something similar. I want, I'm asking it that they be like this. There are other times where Christ was teaching and he's comparing things of contrast. And for whatever reason, recently I have been thinking a lot and seeing a lot in the scriptures in the New Testament and the Gospels, Jesus' teaching techniques and how clear they are. And so often he'll say, let me, let me give you some contrast and then you make up your own mind. I'm not going to answer it for you. You remember, for example, someone came to Jesus, what are the greatest two commandments? He said, what do you think they are? He put it right, they put the, the badminton birdie right across the, the net. And they said, well, I'm going to go with uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. Like, good. And, he's, and the second one, I'm going love your neighbor as yourself. Excellent answer. He said, you got it right. And then they said, well, who is my neighbor? And so instead of him answering that for them, because I believe he kind of knew that they already knew, he said, well, let me give you a story of contrast. So here's a guy. He gets beat up. He's laying on the curbside. There's some religious guys. They see him. They walk to the other side. Here comes another religious guy. They see him. They walk to the other side. Here comes a Samaritan, by the way, the guys that you hate uh, and can't tolerate. And uh, he takes him to a motel takes care of him, goes back, checks on him, pays the bill, the whole nine yards. Now, what do you think? I love that about Jesus. Very sharp. He says, look at these contrasts. You make the choice. See, I think that there are contrasts that are in our face all the time. We just have to have the power of deduction to pull them together and say, okay, let me make a choice about that. And I think that it's important for us to at times live out these contrasts or experience them in real life because otherwise if somebody's just tell, telling you all the time, because I think that's why Jesus said, I don't know, what do you think? Uh, otherwise it's like, wah, 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 wah. You know, somebody up here saying, here's what you ought to do. He's leaving it to us. And so we experience things of great contrast. And when we experience them, we probably are less apt to forget them. Like this kid who went on summer vacation, I brought a picture of him. I'm forgetting. I, I bet he'll never forget that. <laughs> See, now there's a contrast. You have the animal kingdom and the human kingdom coming together. It's a great contrast. See, and I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, I wonder who was screaming first. Um, I, I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I thought it was a llama. My wife said, that's not a llama. I'm like, what are you, an expert on llamas now? I, I don't even know what the plural of llama is. Is it llamai? What, whatever. Okay, who cares? Oh, let's say it's a mule. Is it a mule? That's a mule. Who says it's a mule? What would you know about a mule? You know, but, <laughs> any rate, but I, I'm guessing this little kid, you know, he, he'll, he'll not uh, forget that experience of contrast. What do you think? There are times... We have to have that, and we have to live it out. And some of you, I've told, I have gone into Latin America a number of times, some of them in very rugged conditions. Um, I used to live in the Midwest, so I'd fly out of Houston. You live in this part of the world, you fly out of Miami, but you fly out of Houston. And I've been in the middle of the jungles in El Salvador and different places like that. And, of course, you experience this cultural change, but not half as much as when you come back live in the jungle in, in the most filthy of conditions that you can imagine, and then fly into the Houston airport, and as soon as you walk off the plane, there's Muzak playing. And there's Chanel, and there's these pristine, it's a beautiful airport. There's these just uh, storefronts that are just gorgeous. You can't get over it. 
And it literally takes three or four weeks to get over the culture shock of coming back. But the problem is, we actually do get over it. We work ourselves through, and life has a way of, with all its busyness and all its schedules and all the things and all the comfort that we have and whatnot, it does wash on the shore of our lives and begins to ebb away the contrast that I think God at times wants us to see. As shocking as they may be, He's trying to teach us something. You see, we're on a journey here. We're talking about worship. And as this thing unfolds, because I prep months, weeks in advance, and sometimes you get in and you want God to unfold how it's going to happen. And as it has unfolded, every week we've seen a contrast. You remember that Elijah was challenging the priest of the false god Baal, B-A-A-L, And they were crying to God and they were having this worship service from early sunrise to sunset and nothing happened, of course, because nobody's home in the home of Baal because he doesn't exist. And then God, then Elijah said, let me give you a little bit of contrast. We're going to build up some wood for an altar. We're going to drench it with water and watch what happens. Can you imagine standing there on that day? What a contrast. We looked in the book of Daniel with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, these three Jewish boys who refused to worship the 90-foot-tall, 9-foot-wide statue of Nebuchadnezzar that he had erected in his own honor. We're told that every language and every culture was bowing down. Can you imagine the entire city of Sarasota, this 90-foot statue, and they're all bowing down except this stark contrast of three Jewish boys standing there saying, we're, um, we're actually wearing T-shirts that say we worship the living God. Don't know if you saw that. What a contrast. We saw last week David who was dancing on the dance floor of the streets celebrating the fact of the presence of God as it were, they were moving into Jerusalem. Meanwhile, his wife had her arms folded up in the window thinking, I think it's inappropriate to dance. What a contrast. If you were to study... Every contrast of the Bible, because the Bible's full of it, every contrast in the Scriptures. The one that we're just about to look at, I believe, is the, the most stark contrast, um, inarguably, that humans will ever experience. Take any of them. I believe this is the greatest one. It is at the end of time. It's the, the next to the last chapter in the book of Revelation, or near the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 20, we find ourselves before the throne of God. And John the Apostle, who who wrote, who transcribed the book of Revelation, he is, I will remind you, he is not predicting the future. It's not what the book is about. He is experiencing the future. He is seeing the future. He writes in present and past tense. He's not saying this is what's going to happen. He says, I saw. So God had transported him into a, on human terms, a future uh, events, and he's seeing them firsthand. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, uh, John writes these words, Then I saw a great white throne. And him, God, who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them to hide. And I saw the dead, great, small, popular, unpopular, rich, poor, every race, every creed, every faith. I saw them all standing before the throne, and the books, plural, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I know that this is a riveting passage. It's more the reality will be more riveting. Trust me. And when you see the contrast here, it is, 
it is uh, it makes one question if you don't understand this passage it makes one question well then how do you get into the book of life because that seems like those that are not thrown into this lake of fire and some people would think then here's how i would get in to heaven that i would get into the book of life that somehow i'm i could be good enough to do that now see if if i took that mentality on i wouldn't get an hour of sleep any night for the rest of my life and it's not because i consider myself this darkly evil person but i wouldn't know where the grade break is so let's just say for example you get in the book of life because you get a c plus or above well some days i do feel like a b minus i don't know about you but a lot of days i feel like an f so on the day i take my last breath was i did it, if you accumulate all the grades of every minute of my life did i get above a c plus well maybe it's just an a minus and you got to get above an a minus doesn't that make you nervous if that were the way god graded and you got in this book of life i'd be shaking in my shoes to wonder christ says wonder no more here's the contrast it's profoundly simple you see if you think you can work your way with great effort he would say it's ridiculous you can't you see the gospel of jesus christ is this that all of us are sinners that none of us can pay 1 ounce of this sin debt back to god but instead of us paying for it christ himself the savior of the world came at god's appointed time was laid himself on the cross where the sins of the entire world which includes us rested upon him and god placed our sin upon him like a sacrificial lamb and god crucified our sin on the cross if we yet just in simple faith say god it's no longer me but i embrace the fact that you've done it for me and then i will have my name written in the lamb's book of life based on what christ did and not me the gospel of jesus christ last week we had a young man who came after the service and he sat right here in this chair because we don't believe i personally don't believe that in order to come to christ one of the requirements is sappy music so that we can stir your emotions so that you'll make some kind of faith decision phooey that's the greek word if you didn't know that <laughs> when you read the gospels i don't see a mariachi band following christ is that how you say it mariachi whatever i don't see violins a, a string quartet say when christ said now let me tell you the gospel guys hit something slow and sappy <laughs> really If we want Christ, we'll come after him. If we want Christ, he'll draw us. Last week this this young man sat there and waited because I had a conversation going on. He waited. And we talked as I told you last week for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I grabbed another guy and said, "Let's go pray." And in that moment, a simple yet profound, he said, "I understand the terms. I am a sinner in need of a savior." and in that moment one more soul crossed from darkness into light that is cool right now um this book of revelation is very intense we are told that at the end of time if we think culture is going downhill now put on your seat belts I believe that the scripture tells us that the church will be taken out of this world would and will usher in a 7-year period of time called the the time of tribulation. Now, I know, I'm fully aware that if I were being interviewed on on CNN that they would make me look like a fool. But 
and, and that that would just be too crazy for them. Are you telling me that the church is going to go poof and then zip, yeah, poof, zip, uh, uh-huh, yeah, did you poof, zip, yep, just like that? Well, how can you explain? I don't know. It's a twinkling of an eye. You want to see it? Want to see it again? That's the way it's going to roll. So I know it sounds crazy, but everything else we believe will sound crazy. How about a virgin giving birth to a baby? Let's see what the news media does with that one. How about one man sinning the entire human race being infected? Let's see what Pierce Morgan would do with that one. You you understand? It's all crazy. It's all amazing because it's supernatural and we tend to only love to embrace and hug the natural and oh, there's so much more than that. In the middle of this tribulation period, three and a half years in, it gets actually worse. And there's a worship service that begins, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. All the inhabitants of the earth. Wait a minute. Would you say a few of the inhabitants? No, right? A minority of the inhabitants on earth? No. A majority? Nope. A vast majority? Nope. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, which is the Antichrist. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. I propose to you that this is the greatest contrast in all the Bible. Now, that's obvious. This contrast, see, we have to be careful as followers of Christ in this us versus them, the church versus the world mentality. Because we were in our small group and we were talking about the world and how it's going to pot and downhill and heading south and all that stuff. And for me, I have to say, you know what? Honestly, you know, people who are without Christ, you know what they act like? They act like I did before I had Christ. That's how people act. So people without Christ, they act like people without Christ. Okay, let's move beyond the obvious, right? It's kind of like saying, I can't believe my dog is barking. I can't get over it. Really? Well, dogs bark. When I was without Christ, everything was for me. And I had no passion, no desire, no motivation, no ambition for Christ whatsoever. Why would I? Obvious, right? So today, I want to say, let's move beyond this obvious contrast of saying there's those who will worship the Antichrist and those who will worship the living Christ, those who won't worship today in church, the 80-some percent of Sarasota that's not coming to church to worship and those of us that have. That's easy because some choices should be easier than others, right? They're less subtle. It reminds me of that show. You remember um, uh, How to Be a Millionaire or how to, how, what's his name of the show? Who wants to be a millionaire? I saw, how about this for a snapshot? Which of the following is the largest? This has got to be an embarrassing moment for this woman. I mean, the choices are peanut, elephant, moon, and a cattle. And she, it's a pretty big elephant to be bigger than the moon, I guess. I Poor lady. Anyway. <laughs> so we... Sometimes Christians, we like that. We like the obvious contrast. Like, oh, yeah, we're in. They're not. They're not acting right. And we are. It's like, oh, God's saying, come on. Let's examine the house of God. Let's contrast within our own selves because that's where the subtle contrast can easily slip by us. So Jesus comes to us this morning with a few stories of contrast to say, hey, before you point the finger at anyone else, let's examine our hearts and make sure that life somehow hasn't washed up upon our shore and ebbed away some of our, well, how shall I say it, some of the fire that has set down in our soul because it happens. It happens. It happens to me 
I, I always like to be the first one to confess because you won't be sitting there thinking, maybe, it's, maybe I'm the only one. You're not. I can't, think of a, I can't think of a month that goes by that there are days where life has ebbed away the passion that should be there. How about you? So we need reminders. We need to go, oh, yeah, right. Thank you, God, because we're looking at different ways, different reasons why we worship. And let me propose to you that Jesus will answer that. We begin by looking at a story of rescue. Most of you will know, but just in case you don't, one of the early miracles in the book of Exodus, these, um, the Israelites were captive by uh, the Egyptians, and God miraculously moved them out of that nation heading toward the promised land. They came up on the Red Sea, a body of water that they could not cross. And when they faced that water, there was no way out. They heard the, 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 the hooves of the chariots, uh, horses, and coming to them. And at that moment, they cried out, God, why have you put us here? Moses, you're a moron. How come you put us in this position? God said, stand back. Let me do a work. So as many of you know, he opened up the Red Sea, he blew a wind, he dried the ground, and the entire nation went right through. The, his, the, the villains came through and God washed them and drowned them into the Red Sea. On the other side of the Red Sea, after they experienced this miracle in Exodus 15, 1, here's what we read. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exhausted. Uh, exalted. Now, yeah, he probably was exhausted. <laughs> Pardon me while I have a moment of confession. Dear God, I'm really sorry. <laughs> that is funny. Sorry. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. May I say they weren't singing that tune on the other side of the sea before God split it. You get it? It was natural to sing this song. The horse and its rider, had, had he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Of course they were singing that. They had just been rescued. I mean, it's kind of like a mule sticking its head in your front window of your car. You're naturally going to react, I think. Now, some of you are like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Next week, I'm getting a mule. <laughs> and you're going to be leaving church, and you're going to be like, hmm, hey, where do you want to go? Wendy's, uh, Sweet Tomatoes. And this mule is going to go, bah! And I'm going to be there on camera just watching you. Because, you know, you're naturally going to react. You're naturally going to react when God says, and then, and you're on the other side. Here come them bad guys. He's highly exalted, right? That's not the question of the two different responses on the two sides of the sea. What I'm interested in is one year from that event, what's the contract? You see, it's so easy for us to have the excitement. I love the excitement of a new believer. I love when people come to Christ, the, the raw and fresh language. They haven't been Christianized yet with all the holy, uh, holy uh, <laughs> language. <laughs> they haven't, right? It's just fresh. It's new. And it's so easy for us to lose the joy of the salvation. I had a man come to me after the first service. He said, man, I've been grumpy for a long time. Lost the joy of my salvation. So Christ says, let me help you out because I know you need it. Love him. He tells a story um, because he's going to give us some contrast. Jesus is invited into this house by a name, man named Simon. Not Simon Peter for you that know that name. Simon was a very common name like John or Bob or Steve or whatnot. 
invited into this house by a man named Simon. And uh, he was a religious man. And so he was seeking Christ. He said, come into my household. This woman meanders into this gathering. She's an outcast. She's known as a sinner. She's known as an adulteress. She falls to Christ's feet. She's weeping so much. She washes his feet. See, in that day, in the culture, because they were in sandals, sometimes barefooted, when you went to a person's home, they would have a bowl there, and they, you would either wash your own feet off before you came in the home, or someone else would actually serve you and do it for you. She came in because Christ's feet had not been washed or taken care of. And she fell at his feet. And with her tears, she was crying so much that she wiped his feet. And then she poured perfume, expensive perfume on his feet as an act of worship. And, Jesus, and, and those religious people standing nearby said, Hey, Jesus, maybe you didn't understand. She had the scarlet letter. She sh you shouldn't have let her get close to you because after all, she's a sinner. Jesus said, oh, you're going to need a little story. And at the end of the story, I'm going to let you make up your mind. And he begins to tell this story. He says this in Luke chapter 7, 41. Two men owed, a certain money, uh, uh, owed money to a certain money lender, to a bank, to a lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Now, we don't use that term. A denarii was about one day's wages. So we're looking at about a year and a half of wages here. The other, about 50. They owed it 50, about a month and a half. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them, you guys, do you think would love them more? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger, uh, the bigger debt canceled. He said, you've, you've answered correctly. You've made the right call. But see, there's some similarities in this, this story. First of all, both of them were in debt. Now, see, we gauge debt, and I think Jesus always comes down and, un and helps us understand at a human level what's going on. And he says, okay, one guy owes a year and a half, one guy owes a month. And we look at uh, that human, through human eyes and say, wow, that guy's a real sinner. You see, we're talking about addiction, adultery, pornography, all those big things. See, I, I, I know I'm a sinner, but... I'm just, you know, the average kind of guy, and I probably didn't pray when I should have and told some lies here and there, etc. And in the spiritual kingdom, God is saying, oh, no, 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 no. Not one is worse than the other. It's all across the board in God's eyes. Both of them were in debt. Second, neither of them could pay their debt. See, I don't care if, if you've committed adultery, if you're in addiction, or if you're a second grade teacher and you've only said darn once in your life, doesn't matter. You can't pay it back in the spiritual kingdom. There is no way that humans can pay for our sin. Not one ounce, not one inch, nothing. We can't pay it back. That's what these guys had in common. Third thing that they have in common. Christ says, I'm canceling your debt, both of you, entirely. I see, if it were fair... Thank God that he's not fair sometimes, by the way. If we're fair, he'd say, look, I'm canceling 50 of yours. See, if these were my two boys and I canceled a 50 and a 500, ooh, big trouble, right? I'd have to do 50 and 50. Or I'd have to do 50 and 50 and then 0450, or 500 and 0450. You know how that rolls when you've got kids. It's got to be even Stephen or you're the evilest person in the entire world. That's how it rolls, right? God said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't care if you've committed one or a hundred and one million. I'm canceling it all, you see. And so Jesus, he turns to the woman, but he says to Simon, do you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house. You invited me in. You're a religious guy. And you invited me into your household. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even give me a kiss as a greeting. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she 
has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. You see, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Now watch this. We've been forgiven for more than we could fill up the Grand Canyon. The question is, do we realize it? You see, I don't think he was saying, look, she's been forgiven a lot. And I know I just, no, no, no. He is saying, oh, she's aware. Because you guys have made her aware, by the way. But she's aware the depth of her debt and the profound, amazing gift that I just gave to her and said, you're clean, completely, no longer in debt, can't pay it. I'll pay it for you. How amazing. But see, they were under the same roof, under the same dwelling here, but two saw from two different perspectives. See, you may find yourself like, wow, when we're worshiping collectively, it may be that I haven't really poured myself out at the feet of Christ. It may be that you find yourself looking at others who are weeping and expressing themselves and really with passion and saying, God, set a fire down in my soul. But somehow life has washed up on your shore and ebbed some of the fire and extinguished some of the fire and the flame. And God is saying, oh, look at this. She's worshiping as if she understands how much she's been forgiven. So I believe that there are times where we have to speak to our own self, to look into our soul, the mirror soul, so to speak. And like Psalm 103 would say it this way, praise the Lord, O my soul. See, he's speaking inwardly, like when the, when the elevator door is shut and you're in there by yourself in your own private chamber and late at night, you look inside yourself and say, oh, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see, there are times where we have to look at ourselves and say, man, why am I not passionate? What happened? What has ebbed away the flame of God in my life? Forget not his benefits, Steve. Steve, he who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, Steve, oh my soul. See, you have to insert your own name. I wouldn't insert Steve. It probably wouldn't work as well. Steve, oh my soul, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Comma, thank you, God. I mean, honestly, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, Steve, oh my soul, don't forget that great is his love for those who fear him. And Steve, oh my soul, as far as the east is from the west, Steve, don't forget that he has removed our transgressions from us, from me. There are times I've got to look into the mirror of my soul and say, son, don't forget it. Otherwise, others will be falling at the feet of Christ while I stand by with Jesus, with no oil, no washed feet, no love. Oh, God, remind me. He tells us another story. If that wasn't as riveting enough, you remember the prodigal son. Most everybody knows the story. We had a renegade son asked for the inheritance of his dad, says, I'm splitting, I'm going to hit the, hit the road, blew all his money, came back with his head hanging low. The father said, oh, been waiting for you every day, man. <laughs> That's our God. Been waiting for you every day. Embraced him, called the servants together, had a party like probably no party they ever had there on the property. Mr. Grumpy, older brother, folded arms, standing outside in the cold. There he is. See this contrast? You see it? The older son always represents in this story those 
who have lived under the roof with the Father for a long time. Guess what? That includes most of us. See, it's a story where Jesus is saying, let me remind you something. I know you've been walking with me for a while. So dad goes outside and he says, let me remind you something here, son. Luke 15, verse 31. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Do you ever have those moments of clarity? Like you go, you're just going down the street and you just get it. And I'm not talking post monster drink. I'm just saying, you know, you're just like on a normal day. And it's like, whoo, and it's just, there's something that hits you. I had one yesterday. I'm not kidding. I'm coming up Clark Road. And I'm like, there's something just sparked in my mind. And I'm like, I know it sounds so obvious, and you'll see how, you know, simple of a person I am. But I, I'm just, and just things became really, like, crystal clear in a moment. And I thought, I'm walking with God. That's it. I know you're waiting for something else. <laughs> told you. But see, I came to Christ in my 20s and I fully know what it's like not to walk with God. And see, I'm looking, I'm, I'm just, this moment of clarity, is uh, the implication is like me, oh lousy Steve, I'm walking with the creator of this universe. And it kind of went like that and it was over, but it was a moment. You see, God is trying to instigate a moment here with this son. You've been with me and you've walked with me. You've been under my household. Every single thing I have is yours. Always been that way. I mean, you'd think the older son would like a V8 moment. Like, right. Forgot about that. Now watch. The father says this. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive now, and he was dead and lost. Now he's found, he's alive. He said, look, I love both you boys equally. You understand similarity. But see, this one was dead. And when we pass from death unto life, the, the literal translation there is this inner compulsion transliterating into this. How would it have been impossible not to throw a party? You see, when you come on the other side of the Red Sea and you've been rescued, how would it be impossible not to, right? It's like a mule in your front window. It would be impossible to go, mm, uh, yeah, oh, there's a mule, right? No, we're like, ah, a mule, right? Is there anybody in this room that wouldn't say, a mule? Or I would have probably said, a llama, but it would have been a mule. And my wife would have said, that's not a llama, that's a mule. I'm like, thank you. I can pop, you know, and the mule, not my wife. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Today, this evening, when the ravens win, so glad I didn't say the other team. I gave up on the Patriots a couple weeks ago. I'm a fair-weathered uh, fan for sure. Whoever wins tonight on one coast or the other, there will be a team, a city, that's going to be dancing in the streets until all hours of the night, and they'll be grumpy when they go to work tomorrow, right? But that's just the way it's going to roll. I'd like anybody here to stand up in front of them with a Mr. Mike when, they're, when the final second ticks off the clock and, and the winning team is dancing in the streets because it would be impossible not to say, hey, I think we ought to hold it down just a little bit, right? Are you kidding me? It's impossible for them not to. The father is saying he has gone from death. I mean death. That means separation from God from now on eternity. He's been, he's passed from that from to life of being with God forever. It would be impossible not to worship God. Um, some of you are, we'll get with it after. When we look at our own salvation, could we ever 
find that inner compulsion where it would be impossible not to worship Him. You see, people ask me, how come you raise your hand? It's impossible not to. For me, I'll speak of myself, okay? To outstretch my hand and say, oh, oh God, it's me. You make beautiful things out of dust. That's me. God, I, I, I can't. It's impossible. There's an, there's an automatic battery they put, that God put in my armpit when I came to Christ. It is, yes, that's me. <laughs> Stand beside me, I'll sing off key. Why do you keep singing? It's impossible not to. There are times that we have to look in our soul mirror and say, Oh, my soul, don't forget that he does not repay us according to our sin. There are times where we have to tap into the inner compulsion and realize that for those who are saved, for those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, that it should be impossible that we not praise God. And finally, I would say this. God anticipates our worship. God eagerly looks for us as those who are saved to return with ample worship and passion and praise. Steve, how do you know that? Because Jesus told a story of contrast. He told a story of ten lepers. And that day, by the way, if you study the scripture, leprosy was a picture of sin. And so he, he healed Ten lepers, all of them entirely. Only one returned to offer thanks and to worship. Now watch the anticipation that I believe the eagerness that God is waiting for, longing for us to come back of those who are saved, those who are healed, to come back and worship Him. And Jesus, one comes back. He was a Samaritan, by the way. The people that the Jews did not get along with. To this one leper who came back, Jesus asked, Wait a minute. We're not all ten cleansed? Do you ever wonder if God looks at a room full of people who in the majority are saved? Or let's just say, just for a second, we're all Christians right here. Not that everyone may be, but let's just say that for an illustration. That God would not look into our four walls of this room and say, wait a minute, weren't all of them saved? All of them forgiven? Man, shouldn't all of them have an inner compulsion where it's impossible not to pour out their hearts? Can you hear the agony in Christ's voice, wait a minute, weren't, weren't they all healed? Can you feel it? The eagerness. And then Christ asked a second question. Where are the other nine? Where are they? When I walk in and offer an apathetic gift of worship to God, understand that His anticipation towards me is this. Where are you, man? Wake up. Feel the inner compulsion, the inner, com the inner energy, Christ is saying. And watch, the last question he says, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Because the other nine must have been uh, of the Jewish nation, Israel. Wouldn't God, can you read in the story, he was like, He's saying, of all people, we have history. Christ looks on our church and says, of all people, you should be excited, impassioned, can't hold back because you have been the recipients of my rescue. Christ is leaning in. I promise you, he's leaning in. He's leaning in to his church, saying, come on, come on. Not angry, just anticipating. Come on, 
Come on. You're saying, well, why would he do that? Watch. He ends the story like this. To this one that came back, he says these words. He said to this one guy, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And you think, whoa, wait a minute. The guy's already been healed. Remember the story? All ten were healed. Were you healing a guy that's been healed? Uh, what's? Uh, do you get the confusion? That's kind of weird, right? No. Different kind of healing. Different. What he's saying here is, guess what? You're now complete. Let me tell you why I get passionate about this topic. As a pastor, I'm, I look at a flock. And one of the hardest things to deal with is, is incompletion. In other words, Jesus said, man, I came for your, to give you joy that it might be complete. And just it's socially acceptable. If I give you a gift, Dave, and you don't say thank you, there's something off there. It's off center and you're not going to feel complete. But you know, when somebody gives you something, think, oh man, thank you so much. You may shoot an email during the week. Thank you again, man. Really appreciate it. And there's this feeling of completion when we return as recipients of something great. We have received the greatest gift ever known to the human race. We will become incomplete if we're not returners. Make sense? So when we're in worship, why do we worship? I'll give you a great reason. We're rescued, numero uno. Second, we're trying to be returners and not just recipients. Make sense? Because when a church begins to return the praise and say, God, I'm being reciprocal here. I'm going to be a giver of praise. Something of completion happens. That's why Jesus said, this has made you complete. Well, perfect, whole, right? What would it take for us to look down in our souls and say, oh, my soul, don't forget the immense benefits. Well, today... We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, for some of you, that may be like, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. And we use that phrase, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Near the end of Jesus' life, he sat down with his closest followers, his friends. And he says, I'm about to die and lay my life on a cross. And I'm going to picture for you, as Jesus often would, what's about to happen. I'm going to take a piece of bread. I'm going to break it. He said, this is going to be like my body. And then I'm going to take some wine. We happen to use juice. I'm going to pour it out. You see how it's being poured out? I'm going to pour my blood out. For years and years, the blood was the redeeming factor in, in forgiveness. Christ says, I'm going to do it once for all. I'm going to pour out my perfect blood for all of humanity. If you'll just receive it, if you'll receive this gift of salvation, you, your life will be exchanged. You get to exchange your old one for a new one. And Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this regularly. I want you to remind yourselves. You see, he understood it. I want you to say to your soul, oh, my soul, forget not this great gift of salvation. Now, sometimes, many times, most times, when we do communion or we do the Lord's Supper, it is a time that is sober. It's a time where we look in ourselves, in our soul, and say, God, you know, I want to be um, confess anything before you. But Clay and I were talking this week, and we thought, you know, as we reflect, it, reflection doesn't always have to be soft. It doesn't always have to be, you know, meditative and whatnot. So we're literally today going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to come, and um, we're going to actually worship as we take uh, Lord's Supper. Now, let me give you some nuts and bolts, because normally what we do is we come up and uh, let me just kind of give you the, you know, the um, airline plot here. The center section will come. And if you'll use these rows, the center section will go first. These here go up here to take your bread and your juice and then walk back in the center section. The outer sections and then we'll follow. If you'll come into this um, aisle here, get it, and then go to the outside back to your seats. Is that, is that clear enough? Um, and then normally what happens is I'll ask you to hold on to your bread and the juice, and we'll do it together. Today we're going to do it a little differently because it's not in the Bible. It's not a command. You've got to do it one way or the other. I'm going to ask you when you go back to your chairs to take your bread and your juice with you, and then you can um, 
uh, in a private moment with you and God, you can take your bread and your juice. And then I'm, I would invite you to put your cup down on the chair or the floor, and then we're going to worship. Because it's, you know, there's a lot of people in the room to hold a cup like this for the next 12 minutes is a little, uh, you know, awkward, just practically speaking. So, um, as you're coming today, may I invite you and nudge you to look inside and say, oh, my soul, forget not as benefits and worship as you're coming and worship before you come and worship as you go back. And let's celebrate. Listen to me. Listen to me. Of all people, of all people, us, of all people, our names, your name, your name, your name, my name, your name, your name, your name, your name is written today in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, try to hold me back. I'm in llama mode, so be careful. Let me jump over on you. It's time for God's church to restore the joy of our salvation and to celebrate. Can we celebrate today as his church and be returners and not just recipients? Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you for reminding us. Thanks for your patience in reminding us. We need it. Life washes on the shores of, of us and ebbs away the passion of the rescue. It does, God. You know it. We don't have to tell you. It is so easy for us to compare moons and elephants and look down on the world without exploring our own soul. So today, God, we see the contrast. We can be Simon who stood far off. We can be a, a, an older brother with his arms crossed. Or God, we can be like the father, the younger son, saying it's impossible for us not to celebrate. God, bless this bread. Thank you for the picture of Christ's body being broken for us. Oh, what a gift that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only begotten Son so that whosoever believes will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Thank you, God. We ask, God, that you bless this juice. We thank you for the picture of it. That is Jesus' blood poured out for the sins of all humanity, totally clearing those who would embrace this gift. And so, Father, we come in passionate reverence today, in celebration, God, where we want to be known to you, God, today as thankful returners and not selfish recipients. So hear the fire that is set down in our soul today to worship you in the name of Christ. Amen.